0: Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast with your host, Andrew Keel. This is the podcast where you can get the education you need to invest 100% passively in the highly profitable niche of mobile home parks. Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Keel. And today we have an amazing guest in my friend, Mr. John Scortino, who is the COO uh, of Keel Team Real Estate Investments. Before we dive in, I want to ask you a real quick favor. Would you mind please taking an extra 30 seconds to head over to iTunes to rate this podcast with five stars? This means the world to me, and it also helps us get more listeners. So please leave that review, and and thank you for doing so and, and making my day. All right, let's dive in. Born and raised in Orlando, Florida, John Scortino attended the University of Central Florida, graduating in 2013 with a major in marketing, and a minor in sports business management. Upon graduation, John landed a job with a a startup sports technology company where he assisted in product development, marketing, and customer support. After four years of employment there, a life-changing event occurred when him and I met at the gym and started discussing, you know, we started a conversation ultimately around mobile home parks, and I was able to convince John to basically put a bow on his sports career and take a journey with me in the mobile home space. Fast forward five years, we've been able to acquire 30 plus mobile home parks together and employ over 40 people across the world in our mobile home park property management company. So John, welcome to the show, dude. I appreciate
1: the introduction, man. It's an honor to be here with you today. Uh, We see each other not often anymore. We're all so busy, but it's, uh, it's really cool to finally link up with you on the podcast.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're in the same office today. So there's no we, excuse. We, we got to get lunch later.
1: We do. I, I think uh, <laughs> it's a long time coming for sure.
0: <laughs> awesome. Can you tell our listeners your story and how you ultimately got into to manufactured housing?
1: Uh, absolutely. I think you touched, a, touched base on it a little bit. It's such a, an interesting story, and the world uh, does things in uh, very interesting ways. And sometimes it doesn't make sense, but eventually all roads kind of lead to make sense of things. But as you had stated, Andrew, you and I, we grew up with each other. We we grew up. We went to middle school and high school together, and and um, we always kind of necessarily played bat. We played basketball with each other. We were always up at the park, and and uh, you all went off to college. I I'd stayed stayed here in Orlando, and um, we were Facebook friends. We still connected with each other on Facebook, and I think it was gosh probably about ten years after you had uh, you had graduated from high school, came back home to the states. I had seen that you were selling. Mobile homes on your Facebook, and it, I, I wasn't sure if you were crazy or if you were crazy. But <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll I'll leave that for another conversation. But uh, but it was intriguing. Uh, you, your uh, passion for what it is that you were working on, whatever what it was, was was always something that I admired. And uh, when we were able to connect with each other at the gym, we we kind of started uh, breaking the ice a little bit on what you were working on. And you told me a little bit about the, the MH space and where, where your uh, your vision was and what you were working on. And, and it was intriguing. Uh, at the very least, it was intriguing. As you had stated, I was uh, kind of wrapped up in the sports world and had been there and rooted for a very long time. And real estate had always been something very, very intriguing, but wasn't something that uh, I was confident in making that leap of faith on. And after talking with you, you gave me all the confidence in the world and what you were building and what you were working on was something that was very special. And I ended up, like you stated, I, I put a bow on the uh, the tech sporting world, and I jumped on board with you. And I think it was day one. We went over to Frank and Dave's boot camp, and we 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 hit the ground running. We we learned. So you taught me everything that I know to this date, and you you put me in positions to to learn all about the mobile home park industry, and and uh, I'm grateful for that. I wouldn't be where I'm at today if not for you, and and uh, I'm blessed to be part of uh, this
0: this special journey that we're on. Dude, give me a fist bump, dude. Give me some love. Man, <laughs> I I remember that. Yeah, it was very lucky like right when you started in January, Frank and Dave came to town and they put right. on that boot camp. So literally your first week, we went to the Frank and Dave boot camp and then yeah. we went back, didn't we? Yeah, I think we went think a couple of times, year. I think. Yeah. Yeah, we went back to to Frank and Dave again and just learned some more and networked and that was that was fantastic. So that was that was 2018, wasn't it? That was 2018. That's right. Yeah.
1: 2018. Uh, i think it was january 2018 yeah right after the the new wow. york yeah and we That's went with uh, we went to the boot camp and i i, I was learning everything I could uh, you slapped a textbook on my my desk as i walked in and <laughs> we, we drove off to uh to the boot camp and i think a couple hours later we were stepping foot in a, a mobile home park in here in orlando and i i think to be honest that might have actually been the first ever mobile home park i stepped foot in so it uh wow. it was from that point on, it was it was done. I was over. It was it
0: was over. I was. <laughs> but tell me park. this, <laughs> tell me this. This the stigma of a mobile home park, right? Like like it's it's super strong. So before that, before stepping into a mobile home park, what did you think of mobile home parks?
1: That's it. that's actually a really good question, and I think this is something that is just so misunderstood a- across the United States, and it, it is that that stigma and that stereotype. Uh, unless you're you're either in it or you you know about it you kind of have this misconception and when we we actually moved up to one of our uh, acquisitions in Ohio i i will be honest it was kind of overwhelming i wasn't too sure what to expect and how to handle the residents and and uh, what way to go about communicating with people and how to treat things and i then find out really quick it's as normal as everyday life it is a normal life it's actually really good to have that like that boots on the ground experience to truly feel and understand the operations of a community, the tenants. It's like a family. It really is like a family. It's it's similar to neighborhood as you would you would have down here in in, in Orlando, but very more tight knit and and I love that aspect of the mobile home parks.
0: Cool. So would you say that before working with me, you had one idea of what a I mobile did. home park looked like, felt like, existed, uh, and then after working with us, after living in one, you have a completely different, you know, mindset on, on what a mobile home park is. Night, night and day difference.
1: Night and day difference. I, I, I think that, that immediate sense of uncertainty has now gone to, to it just being a, a normal, it is a, a normal lifestyle. It's a normal, normal feeling. Normal community. It's just it's a community a of
0: people, where That's people where live, know. right? Exactly. Yeah, I remember the, the first park that we moved into, Deer Run, up in Ohio. And uh, I remember we went up there a few days before closing, and we were getting dinner. Do you remember this? Oh, we I remember dinner this story in town. like it's yesterday. <laughs> and I was so nervous, and we were talking <laughs> to the, the waitress. Waitress. We said, hey, and at the time, it was called something else. The, the park wasn't called Deer Run. And we said, hey, yeah. do you know that mobile home park over there off? I think it was Salem Alliance Road. Do you know that park? And she's like, oh, you don't want to go in there. Oh, just full of drugs. And it's just whatever you do, stay away from that place. And we were like, oh, my goodness. What did we get ourselves into? Because there was a there was a home in the front of the park. It was actually a nice brick home. It was older yeah. that we were going to live in. And my wife you know, was moving. She was going to fly up the week after we closed on it with my one-year-old daughter at the time. And we were going to live in that house in front of this park. And there was like 19 vacant mobile homes that we were going to rehab and we were going to oversee it. I remember that. That was such a rush. And yeah, I remember that before then I was like nervous, like, oh my gosh, what did I, what did I get my family into? What did I get you into? And then we started meeting the tenants and they were the nicest people, right? Like it was just a community of people, of regular people that we became good friends with and still you know, keep in touch with to this day. So yeah, right. just, just that stigma. I think people, people are, are caught off guard by, but they shouldn't be. It's just a normal community where people live, right? Just affordable housing. And I, I think that was kind of a,
1: a groundbreaking moment for, for you and I after leaving that dinner. We, we left that dinner saying, I, I, don't, I don't know if this is, this is something we can do. I remember that. And then the next day, we went back to the community. We still had that sense of uncertainty. And then we looked at each other and we were like, if we can turn this place around, if anybody can do it, it can be us. And to this day, I think Deer Run is probably one of the the more proud. I mean, we're proud of all of them, but Deer Run is a a very proud one because of where it came from and where it is today, for sure.
0: Totally agree. What do you think is the toughest hurdle for most operators in mobile home park ownership?
1: Good question. I think. One of the biggest hurdles has got to be just the managing of, of the property, property management as a whole. The operations, making sure that your staff, you've got you've got a good staff on your hands. Collections are a huge process, obviously a huge component of, of the operation. Home sales, I mean, the only way to really increase occupancy other than general rent increases is through the continuation of, of occupying units, keeping them occupied and, and making sure that that your team has a very good grasp on that business model, right? And understanding what the, what the true uh, task is at hand. And that's creating a, a great environment, having a great living, living arrangement for your residents. Quality of life is as high as it can potentially be. And in most cases, that really revolves around management. So I think management and the operations of the property is, is probably one of the biggest hurdles that, that we've had to, to face. I think we've done a very good job at it, but it's always going to be a, a work in progress. Operating and it's
0: it's different, right, compared to other asset classes, right? Apartments. There's there's a lot of good third party property management companies that you can hire to manage an apartment complex, even for self storage, which I've dabbled in. You know, there's very good third party you know property management companies that you can hire to run your facility. Uh, but in mobile home parks, it's a different story, right? You, it is. you know the the average. I think there's a couple, right, third party managers. But their minimum charges don't really work for the parks that are below 100 lots. So it's right. a, you, you gotta have a good internal system for this. And uh, it's a lot of work, quite honestly. It's it, a lot of work. It is, it is
1: a lot of work. And in, in, in conjunction with that, I think just the, the management of the CapEx budget and what, what it is that you're setting out to do. Uh, what's your end goal? What, what, what sort of uh, property projects are you working on? Uh, is it is it an infill project? Where are you allocating the CapEx funds and the management of that process from start to finish? Making sure that you've got not only everything in line from a financial aspect, but also from a timing aspect. Timing sometimes can be the, 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 the hardest thing to, to overcome and stay ahead of. And that's why I mean, you and I know we, we try to stay as, as so far ahead of, of, of schedule as we possibly can, because we know at some point in time, we're going to hit some sort of crossroads. We're going to hit a hurdle and it's going to set us back. But if we at least stay one step ahead when that hurdle comes, we're at least where we should be or hopefully still right, right, right ahead of that.
0: That's a great point. Yeah, especially with us buying a lot in the Midwest, you're coming across this big thing called winter. That really shuts down a lot of CapEx projects. Uh, to piggyback on that, I, I, mean, I know you've managed a lot of value-add mobile home park projects. What would you say is the hardest value-add component in mobile home park investing?
1: I mean, it's got to be the infill side of things. Infill has probably got to be one of the, the hardest things, mainly because of there being so much red tape. Just because you do something in one community doesn't mean that you can do it that way in the next. You've got to comply with your local code enforcement officers. The utility providers sometimes can be very difficult to work with and you don't have an option, really. You're kind of at the mercy of the one provider. If, uh, the uh, the, the monopoly. Company, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the electric company or the gas company is is slow to the punch in getting the, uh, the either the meters set or maybe it's new construction where you need to run new lines. Uh, we'll get to you. We got you on schedule. Don't worry. <laughs> Having that, hearing that, it, it just it just boils my blood because the sense of uncertainty is just so underwhelming. And yeah. knowing that we've got we've got goals to meet and we've got we've got expe- expectations to hit and timelines to keep track of, when you've got third party vendors that are hindering your ability to continue and make progress, it's quite frustrating and. I think we've actually done a really good job in coming up with tactics to be able to reach out to those third parties and try to convince them that they needed to put us ahead of schedule. And it's, it's yeah. not
0: easily done, but. Yes. Tell them the example of Norfolk. We, we just finished oh, a refinance, an agency refinance, but during that process, three homes were found to have gas lines running underneath of them. And yeah. Fannie Mae was not going to give us the loan because that was a, a hazard. So basically walk through the process, right, sure. of how you attack that.
1: Yeah, so this, this was definitely a, a little bit of a gut punch right at the finish line of getting this refinance tied up. And as soon as we were getting ready to finish, we got the news from the lender saying that there was a gas line that was lying underneath a couple of units, which is ultimately a, a life safety hazard and it needed to be, a, it needed to be fixed. And uh, I'm, I'm in a panic. I don't, I don't know what the best course of action is. I call the city. I, I'm, I'm calling the, the building inspector. How did this happen? How did you guys install these homes over top of these lines? This isn't something we had done. Uh, these homes have been set for 20 plus years. And now we're the ones that are getting kind of the left hook here. And at the end of the day, I was able to develop really good relationships with a relationship with the gas company and explaining the entire story to them. And we were, gosh, I think it was, might've been around March or April time. So the grounds were still frozen. There was no, there was going to be no digging. There was going to be no excavating. And the only solution that was presented to us was, let's relocate these homes. And it wasn't an option. I think we know how hard it is and the difficulty of yeah. putting, putting axles and tires under a home, of fixing the hitch back on, taking the skirting down, disconnecting the utilities all for what would have been about four inches. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, four inches.
1: Four inches. And what we were able to do is, is the, the gas company, again, just kind of continuing to work with them, begging and pleading and stating my case. And, and I, I kind of, I mean, I escalated it to a point of life safety. When you kind of put people's lives, I guess you would say, in the eyes of the utility provider, now things change a little bit and the gas company was actually able to push our project ahead of schedule and they were able to actually fulfill the entire relocation of the utility lines i think it was within six weeks if i'm not mistaken from yes. time of notification to relocation and completion of that relocation and we were we were wondering at first conversation i think it was like yeah it's march now we might get to you in maybe june Maybe June, July. It and like, it was a maybe.
0: It was a maybe. maybe. Like, And and right. we couldn't close on this. And interest no. rates are rising. And they said, you know, I think one of the, the biggest things, though, is, is you had a a high sense of urgency, right? Yeah. You went from talking to the, the call center rep to their administrator, then to the administrator's manager. And then from the manager, you went to the regional construction engineer right. who then was able to, you know, expedite this. So I think just having that hands-on, you know, sense of urgency is what helped us get this refinance done while interest rates were still below five percent. And, you know, we we were able to get the deal done. But uh, you know, that's just one example, right? Of hey, you're you're at the mercy of a third party utility company to get something done and they they don't move very fast, right? You have to call multiple times. You're not just going to call once. You have to Find your person, and then you have to follow up consistently. And you did a great job of that, and you consistently do that. So I think that's, you know, one of the the ways we've been successful with uh, with our value add projects.
1: Agree, so. and that that actually is a good point. The hierarchy of going through the the, the phone tree and finding ultimately the guy who makes the decisions. That's and, and not getting up there. We yeah. see it too often, more than not, where you you, you get a sales rep and. Oh, sorry. Yeah, we'll, we'll put you on the list and then you, you kind of you wait for a phone call back and you wait and you wait and you wait. You, you've got to be tenacious with it. The sense of urgency yeah. has got to be got to be high and thank goodness we were able to get that done in such a short amount of time.
0: <laughs> Definitely. Where do you feel is the best opportunity or, or strategy in the marketplace right now for mobile home park investing? Hmm. Good, good question.
1: I gotta say the the value add communities they have got to be the ones that have the most meat on the bone. If you know what you're doing, that's the kick. There is is knowing what you're doing. As prior discussed, the infill side of things is definitely one of the hurdles that that we've had to climb. I think we've done a very good job at truly understanding what it takes, sourcing homes, bringing them in, what set requirements are, making sure that you have those relationships with the, the local building inspectors to where you can set these homes seamlessly and get the occupancy permits as quick as you can. But at the end of the day, if you're bringing homes in and you want to increase your bottom line, it's got to be through infill. You've got to increase increase your your number of, of units. You've got to increase the amount of beds that you have in, in your communities to to increase that bottom line. And in addition to that, your utility billback. I think utility billbacks are a great initiative, not only as far as uh, minimizing costs and expenses, but also implementing that green footprint. Uh, I can't count the number of times that we've we've taken on a community that doesn't have the billback initiative. And and we've had to put business proposals in place and sit in front of the board and tell them, hey, this, this is what we're doing and why we're doing it. And we need your blessing to do that. And uh, in addition to obviously cost cutting from the from the business standpoint, it's also a green footprint and cost saving for the city, and the the municipality. When you've got metered utilities, people become way more conscientious of their water consumption, and being able to have that conservative mindset is a positive impact not only in the community but for the city as well. And I think we've had a lot of success there as well.
0: Definitely, yeah, no, I I completely agree. Yeah, it's. The infill is the the greatest opportunity, but it's also the hardest value add, it right? Is. And it can be labor intensive. There's a lot of moving parts to it. It's not rocket science, right? It, it's no. it's figure outable, but there's just a lot of moving parts, and you have to have again that sense of urgency, like you did on that Norfolk project, to get it through the finish line. And that's just something that I, you know. I'm really thankful for that to partner with you on because you do a great I, job of that
1: I appreciate that man i do appreciate it and and you're right it, the the infill side of things sometimes the greatest reward comes from the the most amount of work and i think that we've we've seen that time and time again some of the 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 more successful projects that we've worked on have equated to some of the projects that require the most labor intense and cap intense projects and not shying away from those, I think, is something that is really cool about what we're we're capable of doing and and seeing projects in communities that might have a lot of uncertainty and being able to have a process in place of confidence with our due diligence is is played a huge role in, in the communities that we've acquired to date and the success that we've had
0: too. Definitely. Let's uh let's make let's ask a little tougher question here. What mistakes in mobile home park investing have you made that uh, our listeners can learn from?
1: Uh, I I think our due diligence process, as just previously mentioned, it's been forever evolving now that uh, we've matured and, and learned so much over the years. I think that's one thing that you and I can both hang our hat on is that we're continuing to expand our knowledge base and learn more about this industry and learn more about this asset class and the infrastructure of these communities. At the early onset, we read the book. You kind of take what you what you read and you put it to action. And I will say we we definitely ran into some some hurdles hurdles that we we now know today to, to avoid And our due diligence process has now become a very bulletproof staple process in our acquisitions. One for one community example, uh, one in in Indiana, we we didn't scope the sewer lines. We looked down them we said that they looked pretty good we asked the tenants how well their sewer system was and everyone gave us a thumbs up and we kind of took it further took their word for it and then a couple years down the road we find out we've got some sewer issues and we've got some root intrusion and now we've got to go ahead and rod the lines and we got to jet the lines and clean out the system and now we've got a maintenance schedule to avoid that from happening down the road again but in addition to that it's now added to our DD process. So one thing one thing we know true and true we get a plumber out there and we camera every single line throughout the community to make sure yeah. these lines are clear, they're clean, and if they're not then we make sure to address that before any acquisition does happen. So I think that has definitely been one of the the hurdles or mistakes that we've experienced, but I think we've rectified those and I'm I'm proud of the 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 process that we have in place today it's it's more time consuming it's more extensive but i think we've learned so much over the mistakes that we have made what to look for and what to look out for
0: yeah yeah i agree yeah in the early days uh, i was i was speaking with someone the other day and they said in the early days our due diligence checklist was right out of frank and dave's book that he provided <laughs> and now it's it's grown to i think there's over 400 items you know that we need yeah. to check uh, for a new property, so the due diligence has just gotten much more extensive, and that 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 has saved us a lot of money, a lot of uh, a lot of mistakes. So, what are the most important things that you think passive investors? You know, we're talking limited partners here. What do you think they need to look out for when investing into mobile home parks? That's actually a really
1: good question. I think we hear that more often from investors now than ever, and I think that's the confidence in the operator. Looking for an operator that you know and trust, that's probably one of the hardest hurdles to climb is finding finding that operator. And partner. At the end of the day, you're a partner. You're, you're in it with us and you've got to have confidence in that individual to know that the your investment is secure. And I think we've seen time and time again, guys presenting spreadsheets and showing this is a property I found and this is the expectations of it. At the end of the day, anybody can build out a pro forma and tweak it to have projections that generate great returns. But can you actually execute on that? I think that's the most important thing. Can you execute on what it is that uh, you're forecasting? And normally it's based on the operator. Can you trust that operator? What's their track record? And that is something that I would look at first and foremost, when looking to invest in, in mobile home, the mobile home park asset class.
0: Smart. Yeah, I agree. Uh, what does the perfect mobile home park look like in your eyes and why? Mm.
1: I like this, this question.
0: <laughs> I do like this one. I think 100 units
1: is like a sweet spot. I think 100, 100 lot park is an absolute sweet spot. And the kick here is it's got to have direct build utilities. If you've mm. got direct build city water, city sewer, utility newer vinyl shingled peak roof homes, paved roads, driveways. All right. Am I painting the perfect picture of a mobile home park? I think I am. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And buying it at a 10 cap.
1: And a 10 cap. (laughs) (laughs) Especially now. Especially now. But I think the the direct build utilities has got to be one of the things that we look at first and foremost, making sure that you don't have a private Private utility system, a, a, a well, a, a treatment plant. I, I think those are things that we've seen some guys have great success with them, and we've heard some horror stories. And I know we've we've definitely steered clear of, of each of those utility infrastructures. And I think if you've got that build direct build dynamic, you eliminate a lot of uncertainty as far as expenses not owning the underground lines and having to repair leaks. And then you request leak adjustments. And if those slight leak adjustments don't get granted, you, you, your expense ratio can kind of get flipped a little bit. And from one month to the next, you've got to get leak detection out there and your expense ratio goes even higher. So I, I think the uh, that direct build component in a community of about hundred lots is, is where I would see the perfect painted mobile home community. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I, on our KPI call the other day, we were looking at some of our parks and looking at the expense ratio on our direct build parks. Literally, I was—I didn't think that was possible to get a twenty-five percent expense ratio. You know, and, and it just shows you—you know—those direct build parks when you're not having to worry about the loss, you know, from the the billing back that you're going to experience. It's day and night difference. So, I it agree is. that that would be in my perfect mobile home park as well. Direct bill water sewer. (laughs) Uh, What do you think the future of mobile home park investing looks like? And how do you see mobile home parks fitting in with the direction the economy is going?
1: Yeah, that's good. I mean, I
0: think what we proved,
1: especially with COVID, I mean, you and I, we were sitting in the office every single day, just uncertain. What what, what are things going to look like tomorrow? What sort of right hook are we going to hit or is going to hit us? And we were calling the banks and making sure we have money lined up if, if, we were, if, if we were uncertain about rent collection and making sure that housing was going to help out our residents and uh, contacting our banks to let them know that we could potentially be in a, a problematic position. And it proved, or should I say, we we kind of weathered what we thought was a storm. And COVID really proved that the affordable housing market is here and it's here to stay. because. During COVID, people from an income standpoint were running into some financial hardship. These big-time mortgages were not able to be uh, afforded anymore in some cases in some of the cities that we were around. We ended up seeing our occupancy climb. Our mobile home park occupancy started to climb because people were looking to get rid of those big long-term liabilities. So I see the mobile home park industry sticking around and sticking around for the long haul. And I don't see mobile home parks going anywhere anytime soon, especially in the market that we're in today. If anything, it's going get, to get better for us because of the, the state of the, the, the climate of the industry as well and the world.
0: <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I hope you're right. How, I hope so, too. <laughs> yeah. John, how can, can listeners get a hold of you if they'd like to do so?
1: Yeah, we we've got our website. I, I think the the Keel Team website is the greatest resource to be able to connect with yourself and and myself and learn a little bit more about the company and and some of the case studies. I think the case studies uh, button is is a is a really cool feature that we've got on the on the site to at least get some further information on some of the projects that we've been working on here in the past.
0: Awesome, and that's just keelteam dot com. That's right. Awesome, John. Thank you so much for coming on, dude. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely.
1: It was an honor being on here with you today and and, uh, I look forward to continuing on this venture
0: with you, my man. Awesome, brother. That's it for today, folks. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Hey, are you getting value out of this show? If so, would you mind please going over to iTunes and leaving the show a quick five-star review? I have a goal of hitting over 100 five-star reviews by the end of 2021 and it would mean the absolute world to me if you could help contribute to that. Thanks ahead of time for making my day with your five-star review of the show.